and welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, four games at a time. We play them briefly, judge them harshly, and rank them, and that's pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero, and uh, man, is uh, is there a celebrity in the room with us right now? That's not, there. That's there amazing. may be. Unfortunately, they can't decide whether they're Christopher Walken or Woody Allen today. Apparently, I don't. I, I don't know yeah, what I was I, doing there. I, I would say. I, I would say you had a little bit of the coffee talk lady going on there. Maybe <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll have to workshop that one a little uh-huh. bit more. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, folks. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for, for listening to all of our silly banter here as we open, as, as we get into 1992. That's right. New year. Brand new year. Whole bunch of games to dive into and talk about and rank. And uh, hey, a new year means a new month. And a new month means a new Newsy segment. So let's uh, kick it over to Newsy really quick. January 1992, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, a thriller starring Julianne Moore, opens and goes on to earn over $88 million. Color Me Bad manages to pry the number one spot away from Michael Jackson with All For Love, which spends one week at the top of the charts. And George H.W. Bush gets sick and just pukes all over Japanese Prime Minister Kichi Miyazawa. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you very much, Newsy. Ah, oh, man. He sounds great. He sounds so rested. I'm jealous, honestly. Yeah, yeah, me too. So, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, I'm not terribly familiar with that movie. This was like the psychotic evil nanny movie, I think. The one where, like, the nanny of this rich family tries to take over. She basically tries to steal the child that she's nannying for or something. I don't remember this movie very well. I kind of vaguely remember it existing, but I never saw it. So. Uh, they're rich. They're, they probably deserve it. Eat yeah. the rich is all yeah. I'm saying. Uh, that's that, I feel that. And yeah, color me bad. They're back on the charts again. Dethrone Michael Jackson. Uh, just for a little while. I can't imagine they're going to be that prominent all that much longer because I barely remember this group. I know that they had a couple of number one hits, but they are not a group that is like well-remembered, I feel like. They kind of faded out. I don't know that, unless you were like around right then, really have much knowledge of their music. I don't really think it gets replayed all that much outside of like, you know, 90s R&B and hip-hop stations, basically. Well, even then, like, there's just so much more... 90s R&B and hip-hop that I think people go to first. I would say that's true. I would say that's true. George H.W. Bush pukes all over the Japanese Prime Minister. That I remember Dana Carvey reenacting that. Yeah, I think it also got reenacted in um, Hot Shots Part 2. Big moment in early 90s president-related comedy. Yeah, that was, uh, that was low-hanging fruit right there. Well, anyway, enough of this. We're going to start talking about video games, and we're going to open with uh, I'm going to be honest, kind of a rough one here. Yeah. It's what we do. We, we do it because we love you guys. So let's just get into this one. It's Earth Defense Force. EDF, 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 all of that. Good old EDF. So now a lot of you may be familiar with the Earth Defense Force series that exists today. 
Uh, it got its start on the PlayStation 2 in 2003. It largely consists of third-person shooters in which you are defending Earth from giant insects. This has nothing to do with that. No, it really doesn't. And honestly, if you could blow up an, an empty skyscraper with a single hit from a rocket launcher in this game, it probably would be better. Uh, so it's kind of a shame that this game doesn't doesn't have that action going on like the modern EDF series does. So this game was developed and published by Jalico. Uh, this is the same company behind Super Bases Loaded, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Uh, they were actually founded as the Japanese Leisure Company in 1974, produced video games in the 80s and 90s mostly. Uh, they are not around today, and all of their video game IP would end up being acquired by a company, somewhat ironically called City Connection, after their parent company, Game Yaru, filed for bankruptcy in 2014. Uh, I say that's ironic because some of you may know that City Connection is a very well-known arcade classic that was made by Jalico. So City Connection, the company, would acquire City Connection, the game, <laughs> from Jalico when they went out of business. Yep, and all associated properties. So the Jalico library kind of lives on. Uh, I think that, you know, various Jalico properties sort of get brought out as, as sort of classic re-releases from time to time. They had a pretty long, diverse run, really. And yeah, in 92, they made this one. They, they sure did. So yeah, so I honestly didn't even realize as I went into this game that it was not connected in any way to the Earth Defense Force series that exists today. And so I was very surprised when I booted this up and found a vertically scrolling shooter. A horizontally scrolling shooter, I think, right? Oh, yep, you're right. Yes, a horizontally scrolling shooter. Sorry, I forget which directions go which way sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think that we we both sort of tipped our hand already that we did not enjoy this game. And I got to say that from the opening moments would not have necessarily pegged this one as something that I would just not like at all because it, it it makes an okay first impression it's got pretty nice sprite graphics it's got a pretty good musical score and it gives you some options right off the bat for like different kinds of weapons that you know makes it seem like okay maybe this has got something going on here and then you play it for a little while and oh no it really doesn't I played it for a very little while and immediately realized, oh, this is a bad game. So my first problem was that I, I got off on the real wrong foot with this game because I picked the laser. You have a lot of different weapons to choose from right out of the gate, and most of them are pretty bad in the context of a scrolling shooter. They just don't give you the kind of control that you need for a game like this. And I picked the laser, which has a very slow rate of fire, which... You can't play a game like this with a weapon like that. It just doesn't no, work. No, it you really can't. And like all the weapons in this game kind of have two modes to them basically. There's a couple of little assist pods that are floating around your ship that in one mode uh will fire their own smaller versions of whatever weapon that you're using and you know give you kind of a wider spread of attack and then you can also uh, go into a mode where the pods attach to the ship and you just fire one sort of concentrated version of the weapon and the thing about this game is i don't get why you would ever do the the version where the pods are separate it always seems better to have 
the pods connected to you, so you're just blasting whatever's in front it's of you. It's because some of those weapons are really, really bad for that sort of... Like, again, going back to the laser, its slow rate of fire makes it almost useless, so the only way I was able to progress at all was actually going into the mode where the pods are following around you, because I'm just shooting regular shots at that point. Okay, that's that's some insight. That's good to know. Because, yeah, otherwise, I can't really see why you do it. And this game, I feel like, is just... The impression I get from it is that it's, it's just sort of a flailing design. You know, it's like they had ideas, but they, they didn't have any sense of, like, if those would actually help make the game better. So they just sort of did them because, hey, it's different, but it's not good. None of it r- really works. And there's one weapon that is just a homing laser that's very good. And I, it's so good, in fact, that I don't see why you would ever use any other weapon. Because this game is also very challenging. It's sort of verging on kind of that bullet hell end of you know, being a, a shooter. I'll say this. I never made it past the first stage. I don't think I ever made it to the boss of the first stage. Oh, neither did I. You get one life in this game. You can take three hits, basically, and then you're done. It doesn't look superficially that different from some of the other shooters we've played that we've had a really good time with. But yeah, this one just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I don't know if if it really even does much to stand out in the visuals department, honestly, given everything that we've already played. It doesn't stand out, but it looks pretty decent. Like, it it looks okay, you know? There's, like, bright colors, clean designs. I do think that this one has the problem that we talked about with some of the other shooters where the sprite for your ship is just too big and too easy to get hit with things. So so I want to talk about a specific enemy that you encounter really early on. I mean, obviously you do, because I I would be surprised if I got halfway through the first level (laughs) at any point. But some of the enemies just float down from the top of the screen and just periodically shoot lasers at you. But they they just kind of stay in one position on the screen or, you know, relative to what you're seeing on the screen. And they typically will just spawn really close to the left edge of the screen. But your ship can't fire right unless you're using the homing bullets or something like that. The homing bullets, not only are they kind of overpowered, but they do, like like you're saying here basically seem necessary in order to kill some of these enemies. They've basically made enemies that appear where you can't effectively hit them in a game like this. It's really poorly designed. It's lackluster in all the other areas. Yeah, I I think this is easily the worst shooter that we've played on the system so far. I I agree. I think it's just got loads of really wrong-headed design choices in it. And scrolling shooters are one of the most prolific genres on the Super Nintendo so far. And I can't think of a single thing about this that would make me recommend it above any of those ones, even in, like, the aesthetic department. Yeah, it's one thing to release a bad one of those. It's another thing to release a bad one of those in a market that's already pretty packed with good to really good types of those games, which is honestly what we've got. I mean, I don't think we've really had a shooter that we thought was really, really bad until now. Maybe D-Force. I I don't even know if I'd say D-Force is bad, though. D-Force is just rougher. I I mean, I still had some fun with D-Force. I just wouldn't recommend it above any of the other shooters that we played before it. Whereas this one, I didn't have any fun with this at all. No, neither did I. And so on that note, we've got uh, D-Force at number 24, which is the lowest ranked shooter that we've got on the list right now. Uh, It's easily worse than that. I think this is, I think this goes below bases loaded. I think this goes below Chess Master I agree. at 26. I think this goes below Super Ghouls and Ghosts at 27. You know, I would actually go lower than this. I would say the best comp for this one is actually Ultraman. 
because Ultraman has similarly just baffling design choices in it that we're like, I don't get why they did them. And they actively impinge on being able to enjoy the game in, in any of the ways that I think the creators expected it to be enjoyed. I think that it probably deserves to be either above or below it. That's a tougher call for me. I do think that it probably goes below Bill Lambier because, I mean, you can kind of squeeze some fun out of that one if you're playing two-player. But I can't get anything out of this, yeah. I, I kind of feel like I think Ultraman maybe shows a little bit more effort. And it's also Ultraman is in a genre that is much, much younger than the genre that Earth Defense Force is in at this point that's, in time? That's a very good point, actually. I mean, by all rights, the people making making Earth Defense Force really should know better than to do, like, half of the stuff that they're trying to do here. I don't think this goes below Home Alone, though. No, Home Alone is really, like, down near the bottom of the barrel. Like, Home Alone is, yeah. is, a, is an absolute mess of a game. And I do think this one at least looks better than Home Alone, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I would say, yeah, let's put it between Ultraman and Home Alone, and it can be our new number 30 game. Yeah, wow, debuting at number 30. That's, ooh, ouch. Yeah, that's rough. That's real. That's hard times. Yeah, so congratulations, Earth Defense Force. Uh, top 30 game? Yeah, that's that's a compliment out of 32 games. Yep. What do you say we move on to our next one? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. I'm going to spoil things right now. I don't think we played anything today that's that's worse than that. So. <laughs> nah, so Earth Defense Force is only going to go lower. I'm sorry. Yep, but sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Way back. Back in time. We are going to be playing Joe and Mac, or uh, Caveman Ninjas, as it was sometimes known, I think, in, in the arcade, maybe? Or maybe in Japan? Yeah, sure. was that, I think that might have been the Japanese name. That was I actually found it, found it a little bit hard to figure that out, but I think it may have just been called Caveman Ninja in Japan. But either way, that's a weird title. Uh, I'm not sure I really get that one. But uh, this game, though... I kind of get this game, because I think it's pretty good. This is something I would probably call a mascot platformer, maybe? Yeah, I think that's fair. Got a very strong character design here, and you're going through various levels that are all sort of themed around him, so or, or them, really, because this could be played as a two-player simultaneous co-op game, which is pretty cool and interesting. It's I find it kind of interesting that you could play this game either alternating or simultaneous. I don't know why anyone would want to play it alternating, but I don't know. the option there if you want it i guess if you're kind of trying to do like a competition like a high score thing instead of like playing through it together you know i do think it's kind of interesting that this game seemingly intuited the way that the new super mario brothers series would handle character death uh like 20 years earlier oh yeah in (laughs) Um, a way yeah because like just like in those games when one of your people dies uh they become essentially like a little floating uh angel ghost that can then revive uh, on the screen, you know, at a place of their choosing. Kind of similar to how when you die in co-op New Super Mario Brothers, your character ends up floating around in a balloon until they're popped out of it by the other players that are still there. I will say this mechanic actually brings up one criticism that I have here. And this is actually part of a maybe a larger problem that I have with this game that I'll just call maybe like a moderate amount of jank. 
Yeah, yeah, it does have that. Yeah, so I found that when my character died, the screen does not scroll while you're floating around, so you can't actually progress, which I understand why they did that. They're trying to make it so that you can't just, like, cheese through levels by dying and then making a bunch of progress while you're invincible. Don't want that caveman ghosting through the levels. Right, but also it means that if you put your character really close to the front of the screen, or to the right side of the screen, I guess I should say, the screen won't scroll with you, so now you're suddenly, like, really close to the front of the screen and you can't see what's in front of you as you're moving. And that actually got me into a really bad situation at one point, so I was a little bit not happy with that. But Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, go ahead and talk about who made this game and its history a little bit. Yeah, so this was made by Data East, who unfortunately also no longer with us. This one is also a port of an arcade game that was released in 1991, which I actually believe that the game we just talked about was also a port of an arcade game from 1991. Yeah, this thing got ported to a lot of systems. It got ported to the NES, the Game Boy, DOS, the Sega Genesis. You want to hear a fun fact about yeah. something this got ported to? This got ported to a system called Zebo, which I had never heard of before. I've never heard of that either. So it was an entertainment system sold in developing markets like Brazil and Mexico. Okay. It was actually uh, like um, an internet-connected device in a time in those countries when they didn't have quite as easy access to the internet. So it was... You know, for some people, maybe an easier way to get online and play games online. All right. That's really cool. Yeah, this actually got a port to that system. So the Zebo was around from 2009, and it was discontinued in 2011. Yeah. So there you go. Fun fact for you guys. Cool. Uh, So the story of Joe and Mac opens with their village in crisis as some Neanderthals have scared off all the cave babes. Oh, no. (sighs) Oh, does this make this a, a save the princess story? Is that what the... I mean, they're saving multiple princesses. I guess it does. What's interesting here is that, like, at the end of each level, you fight a boss, and then after you beat the boss, uh, a different cave lady comes out and gives you a little kiss on the cheek. And it's interesting because I don't have much of a sense of, like, whether they were captive or not, or if they were just kind of hanging out there. And they're like, oh, cool, uh, you killed that big dinosaur, so I can go home now. You know, they, they've eliminated all the scary things in the level, so they're like, cool, I, yeah, we'll just we'll just head on home now, I, I suppose. Because you don't ever see them, like, tied up or in, like, cages or anything, so... I don't really know. I don't know what the story is supposed to be there. So this game also has a map screen kind of similar to Super Mario 3, Super Mario World. Uh, An interesting mechanic in this game is that there are locked areas that you can completely ignore if you want to when you're just going through the game normally. But throughout the game, you'll find little bonus areas hidden throughout the regular levels. Um, Typically, these come in the form of eggs that you crack open and a little pterodactyl come out and carry you off to a bonus level. And in that bonus level, there will be a key. If you grab the key, you can use that to unlock one of the doors, which usually leads to another bonus area where you can get more health or... Some one-ups. Or yeah, some one-ups, some other cool items. Maybe, maybe a different weapon. The weapons in this game are a lot of fun. They are. They're, there's a, there's several different ones. They all work pretty differently, and uh, they're all just kind of fun to use. I liked the stone wheel that kind of clings to, to platforms. That's a fun one. And yeah, I guess the, the only thing in this game that I see feeling a little bit ninja-y is the fact that once you get any of these weapons, you are throwing a projectile constantly. 
So maybe those are supposed to be kind of like ninja stars or something? Yeah, I don't know if ninja really maps. I think it was smart dropping that terminology from this game. I agree. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I also, even though this isn't a particularly challenging game, I did kind of like the sort of intelligence of the Neanderthals that you fight in this game, whereas the dinosaurs act like pretty typical platform bosses. They just kind of do their predetermined moves and typically just line themselves up so that you can hit them easily. The Neanderthal enemies tend to behave a little bit more intelligently. Yeah, like they'll like move out of the way sometimes if you get too close and things like that. Like I, I, I found it... I found it to be a nice wrinkle in a game that would probably be pretty boring otherwise, frankly, just because without much challenge there. I, I really enjoyed that they kind of made these guys a little bit more clever than your typical side-scroller enemies. Yeah, I mean, I think that mostly what I like about this game is the sense of spectacle that it has. You know, it's like every level finishes with a boss fight. And there's some fun stuff, like in the first level, you kind of, as you're making your way through the level, you make your way across, like, the body of this big sleeping Tyrannosaurus guy. And uh, then at the end of the level, he shows up and he's the boss. Of course he is, because you just murdered his baby. You did just murder his baby. That wasn't great. That was that was a poor choice on Joe and or Max's <laughs> part, for sure. This feels like the kind of game where if I was playing this in an arcade, I could just, like, pump quarters into this and see the whole thing in about half an hour. And, you know, it would be kind of a fun ride. There's not a whole lot going on here. The levels are mostly pretty short. Some of them are pretty much just like a couple of screens and then a boss fight. Yeah, some of them are very short. You've got a couple of different moves. You can do kind of a roll. You can do a weird sort of rolling jump that lets you jump much higher. But yeah, there's not really a ton to this game. But in a weird way, that kind of to me at least makes it stick out a little bit as at least a different kind of platform game than most of what we have on the system here where for the most part so far a lot of the the platform games are kind of defined by being these really pretty you know intense challenging games to some extent and this is a little bit easier going than that and i kind of like that about it even though like you said there's a decent bit of jank here like there were definitely times where like i kept trying to jump onto a particular platform and i would just go through it in a place where i i really thought there should be some collision detection uh you know and like it's a little choppy but overall i had a surprisingly good time with this game yeah um so a little bit other jankiness that i kind of noticed was like um whenever enemies would leave the screen it would feel like sometimes they would despawn just a little bit before they seemed like they should have Uh, again like a really minor thing not a huge deal that really affects the game it was just you know all these little things just kind of added up to kind of feeling like eh, this game probably could have used a little bit more polish but i i also really enjoyed my time with this the super nintendo is a system that is just going to be absolutely filthy with mascot platformers before too long i i think that there's going to be a lot of stuff that's probably going to cause things like joe and mac to sort of get lost in the shuffle but for right now i really appreciate it I like it a lot. I think it's also got, like, kind of a fun sense of style. Like, I love how, like, all of dinosaurs, whenever you hit them, like, their eyes kind of bug out. Like, they look like they're just kind of really having a bad day. The whole thing with rescuing the uh, uh, cave babes is 
not great, but the cave babes themselves are are pretty cute. They're pretty good designs. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're cute. It's it's not quite as gratuitous as it could be. No, I think it's more. It's it feels pretty innocent to me. It doesn't feel gross to me in a way that I think they they could have made it feel gross if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a pretty fun one. This was really kind of the cave mania time for video games, wasn't it? Yeah, we had a lot of them. We had uh, Bonk, Chuck Rock. There was Trog and. Ugg Olympics and Big Nose and probably a whole lot more that I just don't remember. You know, I think this is one of the better cave cent- caveman-centric platform games from from this era. So should we talk about where to put it on the list? I think so. One thing that I'm immediately kind of drawing some parallels to is Final Fight, because it's, you know, this game's a little bit brawlery, but it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's maybe a little bit more run and gun, too. I think this is way better than Final Fight, just by virtue of it's it's got the two-player co-op, but also it's a, a lot more fun to play one player than I think Final Fight is to play one player. I agree, yeah. You got Populous at 13. I think I would probably put this above Populous. I would probably want to play this again before I would want to play Populous. The fact that it does have those little hidden areas that give you the keys that you can unlock other things also gives it a little bit of replayability, too, which I really appreciate. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, yeah Which is good for, for this game being as short as it is. What do you think about Draken at number 12? Do you think this goes above Draken? Maybe just above Draken. I think this is probably kind of around where it stops. In some ways, the fact that this one is very much what you see is what you get actually kind of works in its favor. I do have that kind of nervousness with Draken that, like, once you get sort of below the surface on it, you just find a bunch of stuff that isn't really working the way it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think that it being in sort of a bracket with the two games above Draken, Super R-Type and Gradius 3, is kind of appropriate because here we see other arcade ports that have a little bit of jank to them, but overall kind of carry their arcade sensibilities on the Super Nintendo pretty successfully. We're going to see, like I said, a lot of mascot platformers, so we're going to get to see how companies kind of evolve from this point forward. And it's really a shame that we don't see more Western RPGs like Draken on the system after this because I would really like to see like what a Draken looks like two years after the system launches to see what a game like that looks like when they can take advantage of the new technology that they can put in the cartridges. It's, it's a shame that we don't get that. I have a pretty frosty relationship with computer RPGs from this era and part of that is just that I find those games really, really fiddly to play. Uh, whereas I think that Draken, by virtue of being adapted for a console, really streamlined some stuff in ways that made it a lot more appealing to me. So it is kind of a shame that that isn't really something we're going to see a lot of continuation of in the future. But anyway, but that's just an observation I had that has no bearing on where this is going, because uh, I think we're we're definitely putting it above Draken. Do you, do you think it breaks into the Gradius Three Super R-Type? clump that we have there or do you think it it just sits right below that this might actually go in the middle of those two yeah breaks up the clump honestly a little embarrassing to say but i don't know that i remember enough specific details about super r-type right now to make the case for whether or not it should be above or below it yeah and this is the problem with there just being such a glut of shooters on the Super Nintendo so early on is that, yeah, I'm kind of having a similar problem. And maybe that says something that Super R-Type didn't quite do enough to really 
stand out. I think that makes a decent case to me, at least, that that this probably should go above Super R-Type. Okay, so is this going to be our new number 11 between Gradius 3 and Super R-Type? I would say so. Okay, I'm cool with that. Okay, so Joe and Mac just almost break the top 10. Almost. Almost a top 10 game. Not quite, but almost. Yeah, but you know, I think we will see at least one more game from this franchise on the Super Nintendo someday, so... Maybe then. Maybe it'll really just kind of add that extra that extra oomph to it that it needs to, to really break through. Don't you mean that extra ugh? Because they're, they're cavemen? That is what I mean. I mean that extra ugh. That extra yabba-dabba-doo. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just forget I said that and move on to our next game. <laughs> Yes, uh, let's move on to this next one. So this is, hope I'm pronouncing it right, East 3 Wanderers from East. As you might guess from the title, this is the third installment of the Nihon Falcom developed Yeast series, or Yeast. I keep wanting to say Yeast, but it's Yeast, I think. This one was published in America by Sammy. American, American Sammy. Sammy. American, American Sammy. Sammy. Good old American <laughs> yeah. Sammy. Which is always just one of the strangest names for um, like a, a publisher that I, I ever think I've encountered. Um, I don't get why it strikes me as so weird, but yeah, it's, it's like American that guy who, who sits in the corner of the bar decked out in all red, white, and blue. And he, he kind of weirds you out a little bit. It's like, yeah, that's American Sammy. Don't make eye contact yeah. with him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> trust me. Yeah. But anyway, so, uh, previous entries in this series were top down action RPG affairs. This one is not, it is a side scrolling action RPG affair. We talked a little bit about East when we were talking about Lagoon because Lagoon, you could generously say, borrows. Lagoon bit a lot, bit off a lot of East's East's stuff. It kind of just frankly steals outright <laughs> the <laughs> East uh, formula, um, and, and it's it's kind of funny. It, it messed with the formula just enough to where you really didn't like it, and this game messes with the formula even more by completely changing the perspective. Yes, it does. I think that you can still get a, a little bit of a sense of like the ways in which, just based on how this game implements some stuff, what Lagoon took from East, even though they do play really differently. Same sort of uh, interface, the same sort of very quick, fast leveling up. This this kind of general sense of just being kind of mobbed by monsters. It's really interesting to see this game and see how they sort of tried to adapt a lot of this stuff to working in a side-scroller. I don't know that I'd say they always do it that successfully, but you can see it there. Like, you can see kind of an original design that they're sort of trying to, to you know, put into this different mold with this one. So I want to ask you, as somebody who is familiar with the more traditional East games, are you disappointed by this? Or do you think that this works? Like, does this work well enough that it kind of scratches that itch? It sort of scratches that itch. 
I am a little disappointed with it just because I think a lot of things that are really tight and really fun about the sort of more traditional versions of East don't really come through that well here. But some of it still does. And some of it comes through surprisingly effectively. You know, I think there's a general case to the East games that this almost gets to. I do think that just by virtue of of how this works as a side scroller, it's a, it feels a little slower to me than a lot of the East games that I've played, which can be really fast in some ways. But there's the same sort of sense to the way that, like, the dungeon exploration feels, the kind of bouncing back and forth between the dungeon and the town to to get upgrades and get, you know, health refills and stuff. There's something specifically about this game that is really strange to me coming to this game now, because I had never played East 3 before, but what I have played is the remake of this game, uh, East the Oath and Felgana, which uh, came out in the early 2000s. I played it, you know, some years ago, and that was really kind of the game that got me into East as a series. So that game basically takes the story and the the setting of this game and even really kind of the general layout of the dungeons and translates that back into a more traditional East game, but adds some of its own things as well that were at that time sort of like new things for the series. So this, this to me almost feels like I'm playing a weird Funhouse Mirror version of that game, even though it's not really fair because this is obviously the original version of it. To some extent, this feels like something where I kind of wish this was a game more in the mold of East 1 and 2, because I think that some of the problems I have with it would be fixed then. But also, I respect this game for trying to do kind of its own thing and doing sort of an experiment with, you know, with this series at this point. Yeah, I actually enjoyed my time with this too. So as somebody who hasn't played the previous East games, my sort of point of comparison while I was playing this was trying to think of like Lagoon and how this is similar and how this is different from Lagoon. I will say, I think Lagoon actually did maybe a slightly better job onboarding. Uh, For one thing, I managed to get into the first dungeon without a sword, and that is something Lagoon did not let me do. That's true. Yeah, you can, I guess you can just like leave town in this and go into the dungeon and just be like, oh, I can't do anything. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So the game maybe doesn't do a great job of kind of signposting that sort of thing. I think I do like that that opening is a little bit pacier than the one in Lagoon, though. Like, it doesn't require you to go back and forth talking to the same NPC in like four different places before you can go on. Yes, that's true. I do want to just talk about this just completely ridiculous story, though. So the two characters start out. You, so you are playing as Adol, who is the protagonist from the previous two games as well. And he is with his friend Doggy, who is not a dog. Yeah, I think they pronounce it Doggy. Doggy, OK, that would make more sense. So he and Doggy meet a fortune teller whose ball explodes and then... They randomly decide to go to Dogie's hometown. Like, the, literally, the dialogue seems to imply Adol just suggesting, hmm, that was weird. Hey, why don't we go to your hometown? And Dogie's like, why would I do that? And Adol's like, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm bored. 
let's go to your hometown. I heard that that's where the story happens. That's not explained very well here, is it? I do love that opening cutscene though, because it's so early '90s anime. Oh yeah, like it's very, yeah. it's like it's very nice art with very bad uh, translation of the text. It's really funny to see like the fortune teller's ball explode. And it's so dramatic. It's like what. What it's, is it's, this? It's so What's dramatic, and yet we have no reason to care about this right now. Like, But yeah, like you said, it's very early 90s anime, and, and yeah, I, I kind of love it for that. It's, it's real silly, and I'm on board with it. And I will say, like, the story starts following a sense of cause and effect later on in a way that, like, the beginning of this story just does not. It does pick up. It gets more coherent as events unravel. The, that opening is actually kind of interesting because it doesn't start with, like, a title screen and then, like, press start to start the game screen it just kind of goes right into it and then you only get a title screen once you've like saved your game and turned it off and turned it back on again i can't really think of other games from this era that did they that. were doing the late title card before before it was the cool thing to do yeah right I found that I liked about this game more than Lagoon is that because the combat is what it is, it's it's more side-scrolling, more of the kind of stuff that I'm used to on the system, is that in the very beginning of the game, I was in dire straits constantly, but once I leveled up a few times, I never really felt like that except for in boss fights or if I was just in the dungeon a little bit too long. I always felt like I was in control as I was getting stronger, whereas in Lagoon, I always felt like I was just one like one bad hit away from, from dying, yeah. Yes. And uh, whereas like this game lets you save whenever you want to, it even gives you three save slots. Y- yeah, it does. So you know this game lets you do that. You know, out, out of out of kindness, I guess. Whereas like with Lagoon, it was necessary because you really were just in danger of dying at any point. But yeah, I played through a good chunk of this game. I got through like the first two areas. I, I so I ended up uh, getting thrown into a lava pit by uh, the bad dude whose sister sent me to go find him. And then I fought a fire dragon and killed it. And then I took a fire statue, which froze a lake of lava. That doesn't make sense, but that's okay. And then I fought another dragon and that thing just killed the crap out of me. So I got taken down by the first one, which isn't even, I don't even know if that is a dragon. It's like a statue of a dragon, maybe. Uh, I, I got to essentially the the boss of the first major area in the game. Uh, it, there's two bosses in that area, so... I feel like I got a, a decent a decent chunk of this game, but you you got you know I think like a third of the way through it or something. So. Yeah, so I I probably got about as far as this as I did in Lagoon. Ironically enough, <laughs> I feel like this is a game that if not demanding you grind a lot, it's pretty strongly hinting, hey, why don't you go grind out a bunch of stuff and get ready for these bosses. Like, I ended up grinding just to get to the max level in the middle of the second dungeon because the game makes it pretty easy to do that. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I don't know if I if I would say it's a flaw necessarily. I would have more of a problem with it if the grinding wasn't so easy to do. You know, if it was more of an ask, then I would be pretty annoyed with that, honestly. But in this, like, you start off very weak in this game. I basically just walked through the first room, uh, got hit some, went outside where you regenerate, and went back in, you know, several times. And I managed to get up to, like, level five or something pretty quickly. That felt like 
it was worth it for me to do because it did make it a lot more possible to make progress and go further in. Uh, And it also just didn't take that long. So yeah, ideally you wouldn't have to grind, but I think this game makes that pretty easy. And, you know, the combat in this game is fun enough that that wasn't like just boring for me to do. Yeah, I I felt it a little bit awkward at first, but then after getting used to it, I was just blazing through parts of a dungeon over and over again, just like trying to be as efficient as possible. Like, okay, I'm gonna jump up here and swing my sword at this guy and then duck down here and swing my sword at this guy. I like the moveset that Adol has. I like the fact that you can slash upwards or duck and slash and do all these different movements. It makes me feel like my character is well equipped to handle whatever the game throws at me. So, is, was there anything else you wanted to say about this one, or should we... Uh... Uh, just, that the, just that the music's real good, and it, this is a series that's kind of known for having very good soundtracks. I think the graphics in this are a little simple. This is a game, you know, that was originally made for the PC-88 and then ported to other things. And I think you can you can tell that, like, the graphics are, are probably not using the Super Nintendo to, the, to its fullest extent. But they're all right. And the music, I think, is very good. So uh, what do you say we put it on the list? Yeah, let's put it on the list. So what you just said is is kind of interesting, and that kind of makes me want to talk about like the difference between this and Draken, because Draken was something that really felt like it was kind of pushing the limits of what the stock Super Nintendo hardware could do, whereas this game obviously feels like, you know, it, it probably could have done a lot more if they wanted to do more with this port, but the result is a much more functional game. Like, this, the sprites are tiny, the graphics are serviceable, but it, it all just works in a way that I don't know Draken quite does. Not not quite, really, yeah. yeah. So I definitely think this goes above Draken. We've got our now-broken clump here with Gradius 3, Joe and Mac, and Super R-Type at uh, 10 through 12. Is there a conversation to be had anywhere here, or, or do you think this game pretty handily goes above these? I'd say I think this goes above these. I found this game, you know, compelling and something that I could have sort of a more in-depth experience with than than either of those. Yeah, so now we get to SimCity, and this is kind of an interesting conversation here, because this is got another PC port. I, I almost feel like East 3 being such a short game that... There's probably a lot more to be done in SimCity. Like, you could probably dig into SimCity and and that one would last you longer. I would agree with that. And I would also say I think that SimCity is a more extensively rebuilt port for the the Super Nintendo than than East 3 is. I think that probably more effort was put into the conversion there than than there necessarily was with with East. But it looks like we've got a new top 10 game, though. So East 3, Wanderers from East is our new number 10. All right, so three down, one to go. One to go. What? What's our last one? Well, actually, one? before we get into the last one, it's, it's no longer January. It's already February. Oh, that's right. We're going to need to kick it over to Newsy again really quick. It's February 1992. Wayne's World parties its way to over $121 million at the box office. Famously, one-hit wonder, Right Said Fred, spends three weeks at the top of the charts with his one hit, I'm Too Sexy. And after promising to stop aiming bombs at each other the month before, George H.W. Bush and Boris Yeltsin meet at Camp David to officially declare an end to the Cold War. Back to you, Emmy Zero and Steampunk Link. Thank you, Newsy. So, Wayne's World, that that was a thing? Yeah, that was a thing. That was, uh, 
That was a, a, a movie that I think that me and everyone I knew saw. <laughs> I think that movie's still pretty good. It's not bad. Is this maybe like the best direct Saturday Night Live movie? I think it's pretty handily the best, like, actually based on a sketch from Saturday Night Live movie that there is. Folks, this is going to be our new show. Uh, we're going to be ranking all the Saturday Night Live movies. Uh, so, I mean, this is easily better than uh, It's Pat. Um, it's better than It's Pat. It's better than Stuart Saves His Family. Uh, it's better than The Ladies Man. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Uh, Superstar. Uh, there's a lot of bad ones. There's a really. lot of bad uh, ones. Almost, they're, they're almost all bad, except for a few. And this, this, is, this is probably the best. I I think the Blues Brothers is a better movie than than Wayne's World, but I also don't think it's quite a Saturday Night Live movie. So were those ever characters on Saturday Night Live before the movie happened? Not exactly. They would have them come out and like perform in lieu of musical acts sometimes, okay. but they never were in like sketches. So okay, I, I can't really think of a better a better version of that. Uh, sketch turned into a movie than what they ended up. I, I I can't even think of a watchable one of those besides Wayne's World. Honestly, uh, also Wayne's World, they should not bring it back. Please don't do a third movie. <laughs> you don't need to see fifty-year-old Mike Myers in the wig. Uh, you think that the wig. the sun has set on Mike Myers at this point? I think it definitely has set on him playing any version of Wayne that I want to see. Let's say that. Anyway, you know who else is well past his prime? Who? Nolan Ryan. <laughs> oh. I mean, come on. The guy's, like, really old. He can't play baseball What anymore. a transition. That was really good. That was a great way to, <laughs> to pick us back into <laughs> talking about uh, the game. This is just called Nolan Ryan's Baseball, right? Yes, this is just called Nolan Ryan's Baseball. But uh, unlike Super Bases Loaded with uh, Ryan uh, Sandberg, I think his name was, uh, Nolan Ryan is actually in this game. There are no other teams or players. Yeah, they got Nolan, though. They got him in the game. So it's weird that his name is on this game, actually, because aesthetically, this is like a pretty aggressively like cute japanese baseball game yeah the almost cherubic look of these players reminded me a lot of the original rbi baseball uh, so much so that i actually went and looked up like uh, to see if there was any commonality between the two but of the uh i think only two or three credited people on rbi baseball none of them seem to have worked on nolan ryan's baseball or on super stadium which is what this game was called in japan i'm i'm trying to think of things to say about this game i like the pitching in this game better than the pitching in any of the other baseball games we've played because this does let you control the ball while it's in flight basically and i i always appreciate that in a baseball game everything in this is is fine like i just don't know that i think there's a lot that stands out about this one no i don't think there's much that stands out about this at all and I think, you know, it, it says something that the fielding is still really sluggish, and that is my biggest problem with these games up to this point. It's why I just feel like video baseball in general is mostly not worth the effort, <laughs> at least not yet. There's got to be a better system for fielding than what any of these games are doing. I can't wait until one of them figures it out, because, yeah, this is not it. This is not... It, it's, it's so sluggish and so awkward. <sighs> anyway, uh, this game was developed by... 
Effect, or Affect, maybe. Uh, it's the second game that they ever made, This in the first one of theirs to come to the U.S., published by Romstar, who had been around for quite some time. Romstar, another name that I find weirdly funny for reasons I can't really explain. They put out this game in America to... I don't really know what kind of reception this one got, but I can't imagine it was you know, effusive praise at the time, just because it's coming out pretty close to several other baseball games, all of which are basically pretty similar to this, but at least a little more like visually distinctive, if nothing else. So here's kind of what I'm thinking. I I bounced off of this one pretty quickly. And honestly, if we want to go just go straight to the list to kind of talk about this, I am cool with that. Yeah, I don't think that this is as good as Super Baseball Sim 1000, because Super Baseball Sim 1000 just has a lot more options. This does have, you know, like your basic one-on-one baseball games. It's got a like a pennant race mode, I think. It's got editing, but all the but the other two baseball games have most of that stuff, too. Yeah, and the other baseball games also had, like, multiple leagues, so you could do, like, playoffs and stuff. And Super Baseball Simulator 1000, it even had that, that interesting mode where you had super moves for the players. Yeah, exactly. It, it's got the super moves that kind of mix things up in case just standard video baseball was getting boring. But it also, I feel like it just had, like, a lot of deeper mechanics. Or it, at the very least, it had more options for how you could play with it. It had that manager mode, which I thought was a really novel idea, and it's something that I, I I think baseball games, especially baseball games of this vintage, probably should have. Whereas Nolan Ryan's baseball doesn't even have a watch mode, which is kind of weird. I don't think I could put this above Super Baseball Simulator, but I also don't know if I would put it below the other baseball game that we have on this list, which is Super Bases Loaded. There were some problems with Super Bases Loaded, where, like, I would say there were some things about Super Bases Loaded that were not fine. You know, I also just think that Super Bases Loaded was just a, a much more limited game, it felt like, than what a baseball game should be. So, I mean, we've only got one game between those two. At number 26, we've got D-Force. So we got, yeah, Super Baseball Sim 1000 at 25, D-Force at 26, Super Bases Loaded at 27. I think this goes either above or below D-Force. I'm going to vote for below D-Force just because I do think that there's some fun original ideas in D-Force, even if they don't quite come off. So I would probably say, in in terms of my desire to play more of this, it's probably a bit closer to Super Bases Loaded than it is to D-Force. So, yeah, I think I'm cool with that. All right, Nolan Ryan's Baseball coming onto the list at number 27. Number 27. And with that, we now have 35 games on this list. We're already well into 1992. We're already in February of 1992. That's amazing. That's really exciting. The year's just flying by. Yeah, and we're getting closer and closer to having 50 games on the list, which I feel like that's going to be kind of a milestone. So uh, we've got a real interesting episode next week. We do, yeah. So what have we got? We've got Super Smash TV. Yeah. We've got The Legend of the Mystical Ninja. We've got Super Scope 6, the first Super Scope game on this list, which ah. I'm not entirely sure we have a way to play yeah, yet. Yeah, we're going to have to figure that out. No, no, we'll, we'll figure out something. And finally, we've got Pit Fighter. Oh, no. Okay. We got a little bit of a history with that game. We'll talk about that. Oh, boy. Pit Fighter. There it is. Our, our old friend coming back. So, uh, yeah, everybody, join us next time as we get into the pit with the fighter. <laughs> it's... It'll be the pits, I'm sure. Anyway, until next time, folks, thank you all so much for listening. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. 
Our intro outro song is "How Now Brown Cow" by Technoax, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoax.com. For more of our content, check out honestpiranha.com. Thanks for listening. Our soldiers are prepared for any alien threats. The Navy launches ships, the Air Force sends their jets, and nothing can withstand our fixed bayonets. The EDF deploys. Our forces have now dwindled and we pull back to regroup. The enemy has multiplied and formed a massive group. We better beat these bugs before we're all turned to soup. The 